Lord Jesus, as we have been praying all morning, would you show up? Lord, would you come and speak to your people? We invited you into the beginning of this, God, that you would speak through our worship, that you would speak through our time of sharing and praying together. Would you speak now, God, as we come to the word? You know where each of us are. You know what each of us need. Would you lead us deeper, we pray, God. I think of uh, C.S. Lewis who wrote, Further up and further in, God. Would you lead us there this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you guys are excited to be here this morning? Okay, for those of you that did this to tell me that you're excited, I take issue. I have a problem with that. I am excited uh, to be back here with you guys. I have missed seeing your faces. I have missed singing. We just, I don't know how many times during practice this morning, we just kept going, man, this feels good. Just to be back together, to be worshiping. Uh, it feels good uh, to be able to teach and not have to stare into a little camera on my phone. I don't have to watch my face later as I edit a video together. That is good news, praise the Lord. But as we come back together, I, I find myself, I was, I was sharing with the music team earlier when we were praying, a, a little divided. Because I'm, I'm so excited to get back together, to move towards something that feels normal, which it's been over two months since we've been together. A lot of things have felt not normal. And I'm so excited to move towards something that feels more normal. But at the same time, I'm hesitant. Because I don't want to move back towards the old normal. I believe that this whole COVID thing is an opportunity for us to set up a new normal. Now, we're human beings and we are always kind of naturally gravitating towards what's comfortable, what's familiar. And as a church, as we move forward, we're going to have to fight that. We're going to have to create a new normal. And here's why. The old normal of church, having church, doing church meant what? Coming here on a Sunday morning, right? That was pretty easy to bring to a grinding halt. If that's the extent, our old normal for many people in our body, in our town, in our American culture, for many people, that's the extent of church. Coming together on a Sunday morning, singing songs that we like, hearing preaching that we like, and going home. That's church. Way to go. We did it. Another Sunday in the books. That was so incredibly easy to shut down. One measly little pandemic, joking, of course, and this whole thing came to a screeching halt. I got so tired of hearing the phrase, church is canceled. I don't find that anywhere in the scripture, church is canceled. Now, again, I know what people mean. I'm not trying to, to be graceless towards people. But for many, the, the, truly, the church was canceled. We're just going to go home and we'll see you guys in a couple months and hopefully no one gets sick. We cannot move back toward that old normal of church is what happens here on a Sunday morning. That is broken. It didn't work before. It promised life and didn't deliver before. But even looking forward, most of the experts say that in four months, five months, six months, we will most likely be moving back towards some kind of shelter at home. Viruses tend to get worse when it's cold, a little easier to deal with when it's hot. We cannot go back to the old normal 
that we know in four to six months we're probably going to pull the plug on. Hopefully see you guys in a couple months after that. It doesn't work. We have to set up a new normal. This can't be all that there is to church, all that there is to following Jesus. I truly believe every believer, every single one of us, whether you're here today, whether you're listening later online, we have to move from church attender to kingdom partner. Now, you may not be, I'm going to go through and I'm going to define some of these terms and I'm going to define like church attender and you may go, oh, that's not me. I, I do more than just show up at church. Cool. I'm not trying to say this is everyone in the, you either fit in this category or that category. We got kind of a sliding scale going. There's, there's church attenders, which again, what happens on Sunday morning, that's church. That's it. And we kind of, we clap and we pat them on the back. Good job. You showed up. And then there's those that are further over here. No, but I teach Sunday school, but I lead a small group, but I work with Awana, but I like all of these other things. There is this sliding scale that we're all somewhere on this journey. And so as I go through and define some of these, if you hear something that doesn't really describe you, cool, let it go, but pay attention. Because just part of being American, we have, we have been part of this church model for so long, we all have just church attender tendencies in us somewhere. It might not, we might be a, a step or two further toward kingdom partner than some others. This is not a time to judge others. This is a time to simply say, Lord, if there's places in me where I need to take another step, show me. Some of these may, again, not describe you. Don't check out. No one gets to check out. We all have some tendencies, some church attender tendencies that I believe the Lord is calling us away from. Does that make sense? I'm missing some of my ameners, and you know, if you don't, give me something. Okay, even with masks on, it's even harder. So let me define some of these terms. These are my terms. I made them up, and so I, I really do need to define them for you because uh, you may use different wording, and that's okay. Let me define church attender. A church attender, by definition, is passive. As, as a church attender, and again, this is what we've taught, this is what we've sold as the American church for a long time, your job is to attend church, to come and sit. If you do that, well done. We're going to thank you. We're going to applaud you. We're proud of you. You could have slept in, but you came to church. And we're going to say, yes, well done, Christian. See you next week. It's a passive role. It's simply come and take up some space. Come and, uh, yeah, hopefully sing along with us. If you want to say amen when I'm preaching or whatever, cool. Great job, church attender. Now, hear me in this. I'm going to say this a couple different times. I am not trying to knock church attendance. Who cares if we ever go to church? You will not hear me preach that message. But the problem is we have said your role is to come and essentially be entertained and fed by the people up here. If you just show up, you'll get everything you need. You're doing your part. Way to go. But nowhere in the scripture do we find those who follow Jesus have this just passive role. Just be in there. Way to go. A church attender is passive. A church attender is a consumer. You have been told, I have been told, as long as I've known of church, that my job is to come here and to hear good preaching. To, to, to try to get what I can get out of this. Like, let me ask you this question. 
and again, no shows of hands, nothing like that. Ask yourself this. When you showed up here this morning, was it to get or to give? Did you show up here this morning because I got to get fed? I, I hope they do the songs that we like. I hope the message is good. I've been missing this. I need this. Not that that's a bad sentiment, but is that where things ended? Or did you show up here this morning going, I have gifts that God is calling me to use, and I can't wait for the people of God to gather together so that I can serve them. Lord, who would you have me serve today? Who would you have me encourage? Who would you have me share with, pray with, whatever it may be? When you walked in this morning, did you come to get or to give? Most of us show up to get. I hope I like this. I hope that it's good. You, you've been told that your role here is the same thing as your role when you online shop. Just consume. Buy the right things, but that's your job. Show up and consume. And that is a lie. Again, this may not be describing you completely. You may have gone, no, today was pretty good. I showed up like going, who can I pray with today? Who can I like, cool. But if you're like me, that's not every day. I have this draw back toward just consuming. I hope they do the, the stuff that I like. I hope it's comfortable. And to be honest, if not, I'll go to the church down the road. Somebody in town does it the way that I like, and I'll go there. This is the message that has been put out for, for decades, if not centuries, in the church. Your job is to come and sit there, clap for the professional Christian, and give some money in there so he can go do the work, or they can go do the work. And it is a lie. It has been killing us, and it will continue to kill us going forward. Your job is not to be a part of the crowd. Crowds didn't make it very well when it came to Jesus. Jesus had this specific way with crowds. He, he, just by the nature of, of who he was, he would speak this truth that was revolutionary. People went, what authority this guy has. And he would do these miracles. Crowds were drawn to Jesus. And Jesus never went, shame on you. Like, he would teach the crowds. He would minister to the crowds. But every single time, watch what happens. Jesus would wake up real early in the morning, and he'd leave the crowd behind. I got to go to the next place. And people would be, where's he going? Like, look at the size church the guy has. Where is he going? And there's a couple of times when Jesus has these big crowds that are following him. And he turns and he says some pretty harsh things to them intentionally thinning the crowd. Uh, one example, in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He's teaching them these amazing things. He does this incredible miracle, and it says that the people's bellies were full. They go to sleep that night. Jesus sends the boys across the lake, and he walks on water, this incredible miracle. The people wake up hungry for breakfast, and literally, where's Jesus? That guy gave us bread yesterday. Let's see what he can do for us today. They see him across the lake, and so they make their way across the lake and catch up to him. And they, they literally say, where's the bread today? What are you going to do for us today, Jesus? And he goes, oh, you want bread? Here's bread. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. There's your bread. And they push back, going, whoa, what is that? We just came to see you do some miracles and feed us. What is that harsh teaching? And it actually says in John 6, 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. We were in this 
to just see what we could get, to see what blessings spilled out on us. Now you're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. He was telling them, this is going to cost you to follow me. He was alluding to, I'm going to die, and you're going to have to partake in that death with me. It's what we celebrate at communion. And they said, not what I signed on for. I was simply here to see what I could get. And they turned and fell away. A little side note, the way that story ends, I absolutely love it. Jesus looks at his, his 12 and goes, what about you? Are you going to leave too? Literally thousands just walked away. What about you guys? And Peter often shoves his foot in his mouth, but this time nails it. He goes, Lord, where else are we going to go? You are the only, I love it. You are the only one with the words of life. What you just said is incredibly hard and we don't know what to do with. But where else are we going to go? We're in it. They were there to partner with Jesus, not just be a part of the crowd. There's no room to simply be a passive observer, a part of the crowd, and one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We have overestimated church attendance. Now again, hear me. I'm not downplaying church attendance. I'm not saying, who cares if you ever show up when we gather corporately. We're commanded uh, in, in the book of Hebrews not to forsake this. This is a beautiful thing. What we've done is we've taken it and made it the crown jewel. Everything important happens on a Sunday morning, and that's not true. We have overestimated church attendance. Think about this. Most conversations you have, especially with another Christian, if church comes up, what's one of the first questions they're going to ask? What do you think? A little bit louder. Okay, where do you go? What's the next question? How big is it? How many people go there? We will always, within the first three or four questions, how big is your church? Now, here's the thing. It's like me asking you, uh, how big was your family? You know what I mean? Like, there, there's useful things to it. Oh, you're an only child. That explains some things. You're the middle of 13 children. That explains some things. Like, it's not that, oh, it's such a bad question. Shame on us. But it's always one of the first things that we ask. Because if a church is big, it's doing good, right? No matter how it got big, no matter what. And if a church is small, it must be doing bad. We have so overestimated church attendance. When was the last time you told somebody, oh yeah, I go to this church, and they went, cool. How many people serve there on a Sunday morning, like getting their hands dirty with kids? People don't ask that question. How many people are really taking on, like discipling those younger than them there? We don't ask those questions. How many butts are in seats? That's kind of where we naturally go. Again, not that it's such a horrible question, but we've put it so far up on the list of priorities. And it easily leads to something called easy believism. This idea that your job as a Christian is to pray a prayer and show up to church. The end. You do that and Jesus is proud of you. Anything beyond that is bonus, but you really don't have to. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian in World War II, called it cheap grace. You can be a follower of Jesus and it costs you nothing. You don't actually have to do anything. Just pray this prayer, show up every now and again, and you're set. And that is a lie. We don't find that in the scriptures. What we need to be moving toward is kingdom partnership. In kingdom partnership, we have an active participation. The, to, the definition of partner, 
We are linking arms and we are doing this together. We are linking arms with Jesus to advance his kingdom. We are linking arms with each other to advance the kingdom. We are all called to kingdom partnership. To say that you can be a follower of Jesus without actually following Jesus is stupid. We have been called to active, dynamic relationships with the king, partnering with him in the work that he's doing. Just showing up doesn't get you brownie points. Nowhere will you find in scripture, and they showed up and were applauded for it. We are called to be active participants. Many who, this easy believism thing that we need to to be very careful to steer clear from, they would applaud Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And hear me, I would applaud Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 as well. If you're not familiar with it, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And they would end right there. And it sounds like, look, you couldn't do anything to earn it. It's simply a gift. Just sit back and receive it. Now, here's the thing. Like, (laughs) grace is a gift. I'm not trying to say you have to work and earn it. But kind of like James says, if that faith doesn't actually produce fruit, if that faith isn't actually moving you forward, you've missed it. Paul continues in Ephesians 2 with verse 10. Let me read them together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is by grace you have been saved through faith to partner with the king in the work that he has prepared for you in advance. There is action, there is engagement that must happen. If not, again, James would say, you don't really have faith. When the scripture talks about believing in Jesus, it's not just knowing the story, and we've talked about this before, but truly, how has that belief changed your life? How has that, and John, I'm going to use you, and I know you hate when I use you, and that's okay. I love that about you. How has your faith caused you to stop dead in your tracks and go, I can't move forward unless I help that man? My faith will not let me move forward unless I do this good work that I've been called to. How has your faith caused you to engage, to pursue Or has your faith allowed you to sit and attend and be comfortable? This is hard, but I would say, according to the scriptures, that is no faith at all. That is dangerous. That is cheap grace. Paul says this about himself, and I believe it it pertains to the whole church. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul said, the way that I view my life is me and God are co-workers. We are at work together, working toward the same goal. It's not, man, I am a bystander that just sits by and applauds God as he does his work. Paul said, I am God's fellow worker in planting seeds and building the church. This has to be what drives us. This kind of participation, this kingdom partnership, can make it through COVID-19 no problem. 
we don't get to meet on Sunday mornings, and, and that's a bummer. I miss those times, but I'm not stopping for anything. The king never pauses and goes, we'll just wait this one out, give it a couple months. He is always moving, always pursuing, and we are called to do the same. Whether we can meet on Sundays again, which I think are amazing, or not, that doesn't stop the church. It is way more about who you are at Walmart than who you are in here on a Sunday morning. It is way more about who you are as a father or mother, as a son or daughter, as a husband or wife, as a neighbor, than it is who you are when we dress ourselves up and come here and smile at each other. Who you are Monday through Saturday is about kingdom partnership. Sundays we come together and celebrate what God's already doing. To be a kingdom partner, we have to pursue and present. It is all about pursuing and presenting. It starts with pursuing the Lord. If you are someone who, man, the times that you get fed are on Sunday morning, so I hope he brings it. It's got to last me until next Sunday. You've missed it. This is a beautiful thing. I, I'm so privileged to be able to use my gifts this way. I love this. But if this is it for you, you're missing it. You are to pursue Christ personally, daily. Cut that out of the equation, it all falls apart. You are to pursue him and to present yourself to him. I love the way David shares it in Psalm 139 at the end, verse 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He comes, he pursues the Lord, and then he lays his life before it, presents it to the Lord and goes, Lord, what's not of you? Cut it out. Lord, what am I missing? Lead me in the way everlasting. There is this heart of, of hunger for God and pursuit. And when he finds God, he's never satisfied. There's always a, Lord, there's more, there's deeper. There's something there between me and you take it out. What am I missing, Lord? Lead me in the way everlasting. This is the heart of a kingdom partner. Another word for kingdom partner truly is disciple, a follower of Jesus. That word's been beat up a little bit, and so I, we'll come back to that one in the next coming weeks. But that is truly the heart of someone partnering with the king. I can never have enough of you. I need more today. How do I pursue you greater? The kingdom partner will pursue other believers. We're, we're told in, in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about uh, the, the spiritual gifts that God gives to his body. And he says, he gives them for the common good that I might use my gifts to bless you and that you might use your gifts to bless me. And we're to pursue each other with that. Any times we have together as believers to wake up going, okay, not what can I get, but Lord, how are you calling me to serve today? Who is it? Who needs encouragement? Who maybe needs a swift kick and you're calling me to do that? Who needs someone to come alongside and help them up off the ground? I'm to pursue each of you. And you are to pursue me. And to present the gifts, the encouragement, the word that God has given to me, I'm to present to you for your good. And we are to pursue the lost and dying world around us. Jesus didn't come for, he says, the 99 righteous. 
but he came for the one sick and unrighteous. And now we're to partner with him in that mission. God, who in my life are you calling me to pursue? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a family member? Who are you calling me to pursue and present with the hope of the good news of Christ? In word and in deed. Maybe that means taking my wallet out. Maybe that means sharing what Jesus has done in me. Maybe that means sharing the story of the cross. It is the purpose of my life to partner with the king in pursuing the lost. This is, again, an active thing. Nowhere are we told, just sit on your butt and one day if God brings somebody along, don't forget to share with them. He went in pursuit of people, always going to the next town, always looking for who are the ones that are open to hear. He was pursuing us. And now he's called us into that pursuit that we could pursue the lost. Let me tell you, do you guys know that I love this church, right? In no way, shape, or form am I trying to shoot holes. I love this church. But here is a hard truth. When was the last time that you can think of that we had somebody, maybe came to a microphone, maybe we shared a story, whatever it was, that said, I didn't know Jesus until this church. I was dead and now I'm alive because of this church, because of this person that's a part of this church. How many times a year do we hear that story? Not very. How many baptisms are we doing because new people are coming to Christ. People are dedicating themselves to the Lord. I will follow you anywhere. Let's start with baptism. How many of these a year are we having? Not many. Now again, I, I, I don't want to use shame. I don't want to use guilt. That is not my heart behind this. I'm simply trying to say the old normal isn't working. People make their own choices. I am not suggesting unless we get 100 people every year, we're not trying, like, no. But when was the last time you intentionally pursued a lost person with the gospel? Who was it? This is what we are called to do truly. This is our purpose in life. This is where we will find hope and fulfillment. One of the reasons that we've talked about spiritual gifts in the past, one of the reasons we don't see them used a ton, I, I've heard people talk about, man, I can't wait to get back to church. What I haven't heard a whole lot of is, I can't wait to get around brothers and sisters because I need the gifts that they have. I haven't heard that a whole lot. And one of the reasons is this, if I'm not on mission, I don't really need you. I can do church attender pretty well on my own. When I start pursuing people with the gospel, when I start having conversations and people are asking questions that I don't know the answer to, and man, I have to now help some of these people that I'd rather stay away from, but the Lord's calling me into it, all of a sudden I'm very aware that I need your encouragement. I need your partnership. I need for you to come up and go, hey, you gotta be careful in this area. When I am on mission with the king, I am aware that I need what you bring to the table. When I'm just sitting back attending, consuming, I don't really, I, it's nice to see your faces, but I don't really need any of you. I can do that on my own. Do we need one another? It's just, it should be a red flag to us. So many have, have settled for being church attenders because it's comfortable. It's what's been sold 
It's, it's easy. It's what we know how to do. And what we've done is we've kind of created this dichotomy of there's regular Christians and then kind of super Christians. So you can be a stage one Christian by, did you pray a prayer at camp one day? Do you go to church at least twice a month? If so, good job, you're a Christian. But then there's those that go the next step and they serve. They share the gospel. They whatever it is. And we go, wow, super Christians. You don't find that in scripture. What you find is those that sell everything to follow him and those that stand at a distance. And when it gets hard, the crowd is gone. To follow Jesus is exactly that, to follow Jesus. You may not be called to be a missionary, to leave this country and go over on the mission field somewhere else, but you are called to the very same mission. Every single one of us is called to be on mission with the king, partnering with the king. Anything short of that is to miss it. There's a hard quote um, that I read in a book by a guy named Richard Foster. It's called The Celebration of Disciplines. And he says this, speaking about a very famous passage in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things we worry about in life, he says, they'll be given to you. And he has this hard quote where he says, the person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all. And that struck me as I was reading it. I actually hate it. But I think he's right. We have a difficult time with kingdom, because again, we're in a democracy. But imagine you're in a place that has a king, supreme ruler, what he says goes. The king says, okay, here's the mission for today. And you tell the king, what are you doing on Tuesday? Let's see if we can get around to it on then. I got some other stuff that I'm trying to do. That seems a little scary. Maybe we don't do that instead. That's treasonous talk. You're imprisoned, you're killed, whatever it may be, because the king reigns supreme. So to think, Jesus says, seek the kingdom first. And I want to seek the kingdom like as well, but I kind of got my own stuff going on, is to say the king is no king at all. The person who does not seek the kingdom first does not seek it at all. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 10, 38. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Harsh teaching. It's no wonder the crowd walked away. Jesus says, look, you want to follow me? You want to truly be my disciple? You want to partner with me in the kingdom? It will cost you. Take up an instrument of death and follow me or you're not worthy of it. There's no sitting back and let's wait and see what happens and let's just go along for the ride. So, how do we move toward kingdom partnership? Again, there's this sliding scale that all of us are somewhere on. Maybe we're over here a lot closer to church attender. Maybe we're trucking along pretty well in kingdom partnership. How do we take another step further? I'm going to give you a couple... uh, a couple options kind of to hit where different people may be. Uh, none of these may work for you. You may have a different step uh, with the Lord. I'm just here to try to get some ideas going. Because again, looking forward, let's put ourselves in the future six months. And this can't happen anymore. We're, we're, we have to not meet together for a couple months, whatever it may be. If we don't have some things in place, if we aren't already moving toward partnering with the king, 
then it all falls apart again and we start over again next year. So how do we take a step in that direction? Always keeping in mind, pursue and present. Maybe for some of you, you're at a spot where you really need to pursue the Lord. Maybe for the first time, maybe again. Here's a step that you could take, and these are just examples to throw out there. Read your Bible three times a week. For some of you, that would be revolutionary. To move from just hopefully hearing some good preaching on Sunday, or maybe you watch a guy on YouTube or whatever it may be, to actually going three times this week, I'm going to read the Bible. It sounds simple. Many of you know it's not. It takes dedication. It truly takes having a goal and stepping out there with it. Maybe that's where you need to start, reading your Bible three times this week. And I would challenge you with this. As you start, pray a very simple prayer. Lord, would you speak to me as I open your word? Again, it's not just about, okay, I read a chapter, done, check. We're pursuing the Lord. And so, Lord, as I open your word, would you just speak to my heart? And then a very simple prayer at the end. Okay, Lord, because of what I just read, what do you want me to do differently? How, how are you calling me to change? Two very simple prayers that will revolutionize your time in the Word. So maybe you need to start with reading the Bible three times. Maybe this could be really helpful. You need to set an alarm in the morning to remind you to pray. And again, I'm not talking a half an hour of prayer, 15 minutes of prayer even. Let's start simple. Maybe you need to wake up every morning and pray for what Pastor Mark used to call, and I love this, the want to. Okay, Lord, I know that I'm supposed to follow you today, but I really don't want to. I know that I'm supposed to get up and pursue the lost today, but I don't want to. Lord, give me the want to. Lord, would you supply the want to? I, I know what you're calling me to, and I know it's what I should do. Would you give me the want to? Maybe you need to wake up every morning and pray, Lord, help me to put your kingdom first today. Would you prioritize my day? One thing you find a lot in the scriptures is this prayer to, to make our paths straight. And really what that's saying is, Lord, set my steps today. You lead me and guide me. Make the next step clear. And then give me the courage to obey. Maybe that tap or hand on the shoulder that pulls you back, it may just be seeing something and going, man, that's not right. Whatever it is going, Lord, show me the steps I need to take today. Help me to put your kingdom first. Maybe you need to ask him for someone to approach about discipleship. Maybe you're at a spot where you're going, look, I, I don't really know a whole lot about following Jesus. Like, I get that I should, but I really don't know how. Lord, who can I reach out to and say, teach me? You seem to have this more figured out than I do. Show me, show me how you do it. Who should I reach out to about discipling me? Or maybe you're further along and going, Lord, who needs my help? Who could benefit from someone putting an arm around them and going, let me, let me teach you how to read. Let me teach you how to pray. Let me teach you how to pursue Jesus. Let me teach you how to pursue the lost. Maybe the Lord is calling you to approach someone about discipleship. Maybe it starts with asking the Lord to give you one person to pursue with the gospel. Lord, who are you calling me to present with hope this week? One person, again, I'm not saying pray for, Lord, give me everybody every day. Who's one person this week, coworker, friend, family, neighbor, that you are calling me to intentionally pursue 
with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Kingdom partnership is intentional. Lord, I want to partner with you. Show me what that looks like. Who are you calling me to pursue? With that, you will find yourself praying for opportunities, praying for courage and for boldness, for words, for power. Because again, when you start to pursue, you'll become very aware of how little you actually know and how little power you actually have. And the beauty is it makes you even more dependent on the Lord. I'm going to end in Acts chapter 4. Uh, one of my favorite passages, uh, we find the disciples all meeting together and there's persecution and it's a scary time. And they pray this, they pray, Lord, help us to go forward in boldness as you reach out your hand to work signs and miracles and wonders. They go, Lord, we know that you're moving this thing forward. We know that you're advancing your kingdom. Give us the boldness it takes to walk alongside you. It was a scary time for them, and they knew they were dependent on the Lord, and so they cried out, we know what you've called us to. Give us the boldness to follow along. Would you guys pray with me as we close? Lord Jesus, I pray that your word uh, was spoken here this morning. If there were things that were of me, God, strike them. Uh, may they fall dead. But God, the things that you have spoke here this morning, may you continue to bring up in our lives, whatever that next step is, further up and further in, God. Would you continue to bring it back? God, I pray that in the best way possible, you would haunt us with what you are saying to us. That we would, we would never be okay with just sitting back, with being passive, but God, we would always be responding to taking a step in pursuit of you, taking a step in pursuit of others. Call us, God, further up and further in. Wherever we are, speak clearly, God, we pray. We're not smart. Speak clearly and give us the boldness to follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.